0: on, um, our series that we've been doing for the past few Sundays. Um, so we are on our series titled The Gathered People, The Gathered People, and it basically has to do with us as a church. Um, we said that we are a gathered people who have been gathered from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, um, from all the ends of the world and God has gathered us and we are gathered not because um, uh, we are here for a social gathering, but it is because we have been made one family, one people based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And anyone that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and believes in his finished work on the cross, the Bible tells us that you are baptized by one spirit into one body. That means we have all been made one. Then uh, we went ahead to look at the fact that this gathering that God has put together is a gathering that has been constituted with the glory of God in mind. It is a gathering for His glory. And we look at the fact that as royal priests, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, God's holy people, His own special possession, who have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light to show forth his excellencies to show forth his glory to show forth his goodness to show forth his mercy, to show forth god's glory that is what we have been called to do and in exercising our mandate as royal priesthood we said that there are five sacrifices and we've been looking at them we first looked at the sacrifice of self that god wants us to offer ourselves romans chapter 12 verse 1 the bible says that i beseech you therefore brethren according to the mercies of god that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And week we looked at, uh, in the part three of our series, we are a gathering that sings. That part of the spiritual sacrifices we offer up to God is our song. And we said that we don't just offer up to God any kind of song. Our song must be holy and acceptable. It must be in spirit and it must be in truth. And we said that, number one, it must be God-directed. Number two, it must be truthful and theologically accurate. And we said it must acknowledge his name, which is to acknowledge the essence of God and to acknowledge the works of God. This morning, I'm doing part four of our series, and um, I'm speaking on what I've titled, Gathered for Good Works. Gathered for Good Works. Uh, in the list of the five sacrifices, I called it this service service but you understand why service equates to good works when we are done today if you have your Bibles turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 I'm reading from verse 15 to 16 father bless your word I pray that you would give me a trance let me speak as an oracle let me speak your words that will bring transformation renewal in the name of Jesus amen, amen. Hebrews thirteen, fifteen 15 to 16 therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name 16 but do not forget to do good and to share for which such sacrifices god is well pleased hallelujah so if you remember the context for this text in last week we said that uh, the author begins by saying that christ has been sacrificed for us he is the perfect sacrifice who has been offered up for us and christ was crucified outside the gates that is how the author puts it he says he was sacrificed outside the gates and i explain that that expression just means that christ was sacrificed outside of jerusalem outside because he was christ died on the hills of golgotha which was outside the gates of jerusalem and he says therefore let us go to him outside And be ready to bear his reproach that means that we must be ready to be separate from the world leave where the world is and move towards where christ is that is the process of our sanctification but whilst heading towards christ we must be ready to bear his reproach and be and have some sacrifices to offer the first sacrifice he calls the fruit of our lips which we looked at last week but secondly he asked he says but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, the Lord is well pleased. Somebody say good works. Good works. What, what does it mean when he says good works? Before we look at the good works that he wants us to do, or that God has guided us to do, let's look at some things about good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read from verse 8 to 10. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. What he's telling us is that number one, our good works do not save us. So when I say we have been gathered for good works, I want you to disabuse your mind from the fact that you are part of the gathering because you are good that is not what we are talking about here you are not part of the family of God because you are good but because you have been brought into the family of God you have been set apart to do good works are we together so it is not that you are you are good in and of yourself But there is something that God has planned for us. The Bible says, he says, for we are his workmanship. You see, this is old King James language. The newer versions say we are God's masterpiece. In recent language, when we use the word workmanship, we are usually thinking about the money that you pay somebody for doing the work that they have done. But in the technical sense of the word, if you break it down, a workmanship is the result of the work itself so the result of the work that someone has done is his workmanship so he says your salvation is not of your works but you yourself as a saved person are god's workmanship that means in your in your state as a saved person you are the result of something that god has done And not only are you the result of what God has done, when God made you, he made you with something in mind. And the Bible calls that thing to do good works. Paul says a similar thing in the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 2, from verse 11 to 14, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts We should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of god of our god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works you know, sometimes when you tell people that we have been saved by grace and there is nothing that we are supposed to do and there's nothing that we do that will disqualify us from the love of God, some people immediately hear that we have a license to live anyhow. Some people immediately hear that we have a license to sin. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, there were some um, young guys in, my ch- in the church and... They had chanced on, the, on what we call the hyper grace gospel. And this guy was like, Pastor, you don't know. You've not got the revelation that we have got. Because Christ has died for us and Christ has finished, I can even watch pornography and nothing will happen to me. That we will still be saved. Hallelujah. You see, Paul says something about the grace of God. He says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, to live soberly and godly lives. That means if you have experienced the grace of God, and that grace is not teaching you to live a godly life, what you have experienced is not the grace of God. Let me together. Let me clap and clap well. Says that the grace of god teaches us it means that if you say you have experienced grace in five years ten years we should see what the grace of god is teaching you but he doesn't just leave it there he says the grace of god that appears that is teaching us it is because god is preparing us for something and he says he's purifying to himself and his special people who are zealous for good works zealous for good works the language he uses there in in the text is similar to what he says in first peter chapter 2 where he says god we are god's own special possession he says as god's special people one thing that god god wants us to use to identify him that must mark us out is that we are people zealous for good works to be zealous means to show great energy and enthusiasm in the pursuit of an enterprise or an objective you know I love football. Today at 11.30, my football team is playing. Manchester United. The best team in the world. We may be having our struggles, but we are the best team in the world. Uh, You may disagree, but it's up to you. I have the microphone. My team is the best team in the world. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. But there are some people who love and i'm somebody who loves football right i will take time off to watch Manchester United when they are playing but there are some people who are fanatical about football they are crazy about football in in um in Italy there's a group of uh, football fans called the ultras those people are crazy if you go to the home of an ultra everything is about his football club when they come to the stadium they, they don't just come wearing the uniform they mark their eyes they are ready with their beer cans they lock arms they are shaking and they would fight at the stadium if you dare them these people are zealous for their team and that is the attitude that god wants us to have concerning what he calls good works that we are not just um, uh, apathetic when it comes to good works. But that we are enthusiastic when it comes to doing good works. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. See, why, why does God or why is Jesus concerned about making sure that we offer him sacrifice of good works? That he has gathered us to do good works. Why is it so important to him? In Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 he says, let your light therefore shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, whenever God's glory is at stake, God is concerned. And he has separated you for good works because his glory is at stake. You remember when we looked at 1 Peter 2.9? i said that as part of our role as royal priesthood is the work of representation we are called to represent god let's look at god's investment in us he gave his son to come and die for us he has given us his righteousness he has given us his spirit he has made us partakers of the divine nature and by his grace he's teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldliness and all of the sins all of this is so that we can bear his name The title Christian means small Christ, the people who are like Christ. So the moment you identify as a believer, the moment you are saved, God's name is on you. So God is invested in you. So that we can bear his name. In Exodus chapter 20, we see God giving Moses the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue and in the 10 commandments the third commandment is quite interesting in exodus 20 verse 7 it says you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain for the lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain the conventional understanding of this text has always been that we should not blaspheme the name of God. We should not use the name of God uh, in jest when we are having conversations. In fact, the Jewish writers and the, the, the Jewish religious sect took this commandment so serious that when they were speaking and, or they were reading the, 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 the Torah and the name of God was coming up, they would substitute Yahweh and put there adonai that is why sometimes when you are reading your old testament you will see the term lord you will see sometimes it's just the l that is capital and sometimes you will see that um, all the four letters of the word lord are capitalized when you see all four letters capitalized they have substituted lord for yahweh when you see only the l capitalized it is the word adonai so in normal jewish language when they are speaking they would say adonai all the time but when the english uh, translators were translating from the masoretic text to english they made the uh, yahweh all caps and they made adonai lower caps just so that when you are reading you would be able to identify okay there is a substitution that has happened here the reason why most people don't know this is because when you buy bibles you don't read the preface the preface of your bible is important today when you go home go and read it because the preface of your bible tells you the objective of the one translating the bible and what what decisions they took on your behalf because even a translation of the bible is an interpretation it affects how you would interpret it as well one day i'll I'll, I'll take my time to explain these things at some uh, bible study meetings we will be having. but there's a school of thought You know, like I was saying, these people were so religious and so um, adherent to the third commandment that even, you know, the um, uh, Hebrew alphabet is alphanumeric. That means even though it's uh, an alphabet, it also stands for numbers. So like uh, the first letter of the alphabet, Aleph, which is A, corresponds to one. Beth, which um, is the second letter, corresponds to two. Gimel, which is the third letter, corresponds to three so when they were even doing mathematics and they were adding up numbers the name yahweh corresponds when you're adding them up the various elements corresponds to the number 26 right when they were adding the numbers and you are adding and you are going to get 26 and the, the configuration will spell out yahweh do change the numbers that was how serious they were when a scribe was rewriting the torah and he gets to the point where he's about to write the name of Yahweh he would speak out loud I am about to write the holy name the Hakodesh in that moment even when the king of Israel stands before him and gives him a command the king has to wait because he's writing the name but there is there is something more important to this command than it is just just taking the name of the Lord in vain with our lips you see the the word to take there translated is the word Tissa in the Hebrew T-I-S-S-A and it's, it's part of the nasa root of words in, in Hebrew the reason why Hebrew is difficult to learn and understand is that they use a lot of root words so a word can form the root basis and has different configurations right? but to understand the word you must understand the root right? and it's, the root word is the word nasa, which means to bear up or to carry There's a school of thought amongst theologians, and I side with that school of thought. That that because of the configuration of the, the word, and how it is used whenever a name is attached to it, there is more going on in the text. For instance, in Exodus chapter 28 verse 29, the Bible says, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart so that when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before, when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. This is God speaking about the role that Aaron would perform as a priest. And it says Aaron would bear the same word there is the word tessah, same word that we see in Exodus 20. Right? And he says we should not take the name of the Lord in vain. We should not bear the name of the Lord in vain. Here he says Aaron will bear the name. When Aaron bears the name, it has to do with identification, representation. He carries the name of the people into the presence of God. So when the Bible says that we should not bear the name of the Lord in vain, it is not just a matter of speaking God's name in vain. It means that you should not identify with God in vain, because God will not hold you guiltless if you identify with Him and live anyhow. And that is why when we read the Old Testament, sometimes you look at how God is dealing with the children of Israel, and you're like, God, this is harsh. I don't know if you felt that way before. But the reason why some, some of God's dealings with them became harsh was because they were the people that bore his name. The word Israel in itself means to prevail with God. They, of all the people on the earth at the time, they were the people that God has attached his name to. His integrity too. So the actions of these people showed forth who God was. And that is why the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. He says, for the foundations of the Lord standeth sure. And he that names the name of the Lord must depart from iniquity. We cannot bear the name of God and live anyhow. Are we together? Let's take stock. So what have we said so far? We said that we have been called to give God a sacrifice of good works. God has made us in Christ. We are his workmanship made for good works. We have been made to be zealous for good works. And our good works gives God glory. And that's why God is concerned about all of this. So what are the good works that we have been called to offer up to God? The the, 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 the difficulty is that when the authors use good works, good works, good works, sometimes they don't bother to explain and give us, intricate details of what these good works are. But we'll look at two broad categories of the good works today. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 24 to 25. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 24 to 25. This is Paul telling Timothy not to be. in a hurry to associate with people and to not be in a hurry to pass judgment he says some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment but those of some men follow later likewise the good works of some are clearly evident and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden if you pay attention to the text the way the language is structured good works is held in juxtaposition to sinful works so when the bible says that we should be zealous for good works one of the things he's telling us to be zealous for is that we must be zealous to have an upright moral character as believers when somebody comes to our gathering they should look at us and see that we are people who are of excellent moral character in First Peter 2, 11 to 12 it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, as believers, how we conduct our life is very important. Because we bear the name of God. The scripture says that our conduct must be honorable. How do we talk? How do we relate to others? How do we do business? So, that you see, that the, the, the thing is that the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. And because anyone who is not saved is a son of the devil according to scripture. They also do the works of the devil. You know, the, when the Bible says somebody is the son of another person, he's not saying that you were born by the person. What identifies you as the son of somebody is the works that you do. So if you do the works of God, you are the child of God. If you do the works of the devil, I didn't say it, take it up with the text. Hallelujah. How do we conduct ourselves in the house of God? Because the world is constantly trying to accuse believers of something. But when they accuse you, Peter is saying that when they come with accusations and they held their accusations at you, let them be rebuked by your good conduct, your honorable conduct. Unfortunately, in the church today, the reverse is rather true. You hear a lot of people talk about why they don't want to go to church. And everything has to do with somebody who behaved in a way that was not Christ-like. Granted, I always say, let us not judge Christianity by the mistakes of some others. Because the focal point of Christianity is Christ. If you come to Christianity and you have validated Christ and you have found Christ false, then you have a liberty to say that you are rejecting the message. But it, granted, that that is true. We as believers cannot downplay the importance of our life in validating the message. Are we together? In Titus chapter 2, when Paul is giving instructions on how people must be trained and how people must be brought up, Paul gives an interesting instruction for young men in the church. He says in Titus chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, he says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober minded in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works so he says that he's speaking to the young man directly but there's a principle that applies to all right sometimes you talk to young ladies and some ladies have left the church because some young man broke their heart broke it into tiny tiny pieces you can't even put it together but as men we are called to a high standard. He says that teach the young men to show themselves to be a pattern of good works. That means if the whole world is looking for someone to be a pattern of good works, when we walk into the church and we see our young men, consider that this is the model that we are looking after. Look at what he says about the pattern. He says to show yourself to be a pattern of good works. It's a semicolon. That means the sentence that is coming after... It's related to the idea of being a pattern of good works it says in doctrine showing integrity as believers we are supposed to be people of integrity when when you say something we should trust that you do it that is why jesus says that we should not swear because as believers he says let your yes be yes let your no be no anything in between is from the devil that's what the bible says we must be people of integrity I knew a man one time a Methodist Deacon he started a block factory wanted to employ the young man in his shed. the business collapsed in three months his only mistake was that he employed believers that was the only mistake he made we must be people of integrity all over the world a lot of countries claim to be majority Christian check there the places where they say they are majority Christian corruption is high why why is that so same politicians who come to church some of them are deacons. some of them are elders some of them why do we have that disparity because we are forgotten that our good works is also a sacrifice we are offering up to god says we must be people of integrity people who show reverence that means the fear of the lord is in you you see most of the time, when you see people who live anyhow, and they don't live honorable lives, it's because they don't fear God. Ladies, let me give you free advice. If you want to get into a relationship with a young man, find somebody who fears God. Other than that, every day, you are wondering, when he goes out, where are you? You are putting tracker on his phone. You are checking, uh, uh, who did you talk to the last time? you you, You'll be worried. When Jacob was faced with Potiphar's wife, his concern was not even Potiphar. He says, I cannot do this thing against my God. When you marry somebody who fears God, half your problems are solved. Such reverence, incorruptibility. I'm, I'm showing you the pattern of the good works. He says, incorruptibility. That means you must be somebody who cannot be corrupted. Your life must be such that when, when somebody is coming to you with bad advice, they know that this person, we cannot take it to him. I remember there was a time in, in, in when, I was in the, when I was in university. There was a time my, my friends stopped inviting me for stuff. At a point, I asked them, ah, Why don't you invite me for? He says, where we are going, there will be alcohol. We know you won't drink. Where we are going, there will be girls who will go and do things. We know you won't do. So there is no point of us coming to invite you. Because even when we invite you, you will preach to us. You must be incorruptible. Hallelujah. He says, and of sound speech that cannot be condemned. The words that even come out from your mouth, those are part of the good works. Your words should be such that even when somebody stands back, they cannot condemn you. Amen. He says, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say against you. Some of you, if we bring your colleagues here and we ask them to give you a report of you, to be a long rap sheet, I'll, I'll be having to beg for you. <laughs> Hallelujah see there was a second century christian philosopher from athens his name is athenagoras it's interesting that he's from athens and his name is athenagoras he, he he said something about the first century second century christian he says among us are uneducated folk artisans and old women who are utterly unable to describe the value of doctrines in words but who attest to them in their deeds just among them there were people who had not been educated when you ask them to take the pulpit and preach they cannot communicate they cannot add scripture line upon line they can't do all of those things but what their life will teach you is the same as what you read in the bible and that is what god is calling us to do that is the sacrifice that we are being called to offer up to god as believers we are called to shun the evil works and even the appearance of evil just the appearance of evil we are called to abstain from it that's what the Bible says in First Thessalonians so abstain from the appearance of evil that is why for me my wife knows there's those who live in the I, I, I even don't like being alone in a space with a single lady we, we will meet in public where everybody can see us If you want counseling, my wife must be there. If I cannot counsel you with my wife in in, uh, my presence, and you think, then we'll find another counselor for you. It cannot be me. See, it's because because of the appearance of evil. You see, people talk. People talk. And and somebody will just see you and say, Hey, did you see... (laughs) (laughs) That's the truth. We are called to live honorable lives. You see? And I, I told you that, you see, the reason why the Bible calls this a sacrifice is because it's not always beneficial to you. Sometimes, there are cases where being honest will disadvantage you. But the reason why it is called sacrifice is because you are doing it for someone greater than yourself, for God. You are doing it because you honor God and you want God to be glorified. I remember one of my favorite uh, church history characters, Polycarp. Polycarp was brought out and they just asked him to deny Jesus, just to say anything blasphemous, to deny Jesus. He says, this fourscore score in 20 years have I saved him. And he has done nothing wrong to me how what can i do to deny him at this point in time this man was going to face death by lions in the amphitheater but he will not compromise that is what we have been called because it's not always beneficial hallelujah the second thing that we've been called to offer up to god as good works what I call the acts of altruism and philanthropy Matthew chapter 25 31 to 40. you see when I use this term I'm not using it the way the world uses it because when most people in this world do altruistic works and they do works of philanthropy it is for their personal benefit you see billionaires set up charities and the charity is so that they can get tax breaks they are not do. see sometimes we look at, oh, um, uh, the, I don't want to mention any billionaire's name, right? But you, this person has set up this foundation. This person has set up this foundation. You know the various foundations. They are not doing it because they love the, the less privileged people. When, see, sometimes when I, was, when I was younger, there was a time I was connected to work with um, uh, uh, an NGO. And when you see what the people who work in the NGO are being paid, Sometimes half of their pay can solve the problem. But they are there living in plush hotels, doing plush trips, going for conferences because they'll get their pay. They are not thinking about the people. So everything is for their benefit. But that is not the kind of philanthropic work and altruism that God has called us to. Matthew chapter 5, 31 to 40. He says, when the son of man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another. And as a a shepherd divides his sheep from goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand. And the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand. Come you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. And you took me in. I was naked. And you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. And the righteous would answer him saying. Lord. When did we see you hungry. And feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it for the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. You see? We do it not because it is easy and beneficial for us. We do it because we are doing it for God. When, when people are hungry, we don't feed the hungry because we have extra in our pocket. We feed them because they are hungry. There's a difference. Some of us are waiting. I, I, I want to be blessed. That is why I, I've told you people several times in this church that I find the term kingdom financier, I find it a contradiction of terms. Because God is not calling, you, you see, when people think about kingdom financier, here's what they, they are thinking about I want to work hard and be rich so that when i get money i can meet the needs of the church that is not what god is calling you to do even in your your current state he's still calling you to do good so even in your current state you are a kingdom financier not the way the world is looking at it everyone who has been called into the kingdom automatically you are called to do good so you may not have billions in your pockets But once you are not hungry and another person is hungry, their hunger necessitates that you are called to feed them. Are we together? That is what we have been called to. Again, you see, by the 3rd century, the church was facing high levels of persecution. That's around AD 297 into early AD 300. facing high levels of persecution and at that time there arose an ungodly emperor his name was Emperor Julian and Emperor Julian wanted to reinstate their Roman religion you know the early Roman Empire had a religion where the the Empire itself was a, a religion and the God was the, was the Roman emperor. Right? So the, 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 they called the religion the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Right? And Emperor Julian wanted to reinstate the Pax Romana, the religion of Rome. But he found that the Christian religion was spreading so fast that he could not counter it. And in one of his memoirs, he writes something about Christianity. I'm going to read it. He, in in uh, the early stage of Christianity, the, it's funny that the pagans called Christians pagans. And they called Christians atheists. The reason why they call Christians atheists, they don't use it in the same way we use the word now. The reason why they call Christians atheists is because the Christians served the God that they could not see. All the religions around them served gods that they could see. They had idols and images of those gods. But the Christians were the only people who said that their god cannot be made into any image. So they were referred to as atheists in the technical sense of the word. So when I say atheism, I'm talking about Christianity. This is what Emperor Julian says. He says atheism, that is the Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. But this is what he says. He says, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew. Here, he still means Christians because the early church was made up of primarily Jews. He says, there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. Think about it. Too. In those days, he says, there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. And that's the godless Galileans. He's still speaking about Christians. So he's using derogatory terms. He's calling them godless Galileans because their God cannot be seen. He says, the godless Galileans. Care for their own poor, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. He says, What was making Christianity spread was how they cared for others. They were offering good works to whoever needed it. In the early Roman Empire, one of the things they they did was that they had children they called the Desirables and the Undesirables. So let's say if a, if a man had had so many daughters and was looking for a son and the wife gave birth to another daughter, that child becomes an undesirable and they just go and throw the child on the rubbish heap somewhere. Sometimes they give birth to a child and the child is born with a deformity, they leave the child on the streets to die. But the believers will not leave the shri- child on the streets to die. The Christians who, these were the people that were persecuting them. The children of the people that were persecuting them. The Christians had it in their power to say that, let it not, it doesn't belong to us. But they would go, take care of them, bring them up, train them in the ways of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because they said that every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. That even, he says, the they, Christians were taking care of their, their enemies. If you look all over the world, the advancement of the Western world. Sometimes when I, when I look at how people speak against Christianity and, and we, we, we don't need God, I'm like, you don't know the foundation you are standing on in this Western world you can speak about human rights because christians championed for humans to have rights human rights was not a thing until the christian ethic came up because human beings were not equal back in the day it was until christianity came that a slave and a slave master could sit at the same table to eat communion when paul writes to uh, uh, his letter to philemon he's telling philemon to receive onesimus back to him onesimus is a runaway slave who has run away from his master and if you're a runaway slave and you are returning the punishment is death paul writes to philemon he says i want you to receive onesimus back but don't receive him as a slave receive him as a brother this was this is the sacrifice of good works when we look at those who champion human rights, William Wilberforce who championed the, the end of slavery the, the slavery in the United Kingdom. Wilberforce was a politician and MP and he became an evangelical Christian. When he became converted, because part of our work is that we do good works and he saw that the rights of these people are being infringed upon. He took it upon himself. At, at the detriment of his political career. To push for the abolishment of slavery when we take people like Martin Luther King Junior this guy was a Baptist minister at the end of the day it cost him his life I mean this guy had seemingly made it he could have sat in his corner and said that I don't have to uh, push and uh, fight for the rights of others but he saw the injustice that was being perpetuated he saw what was going on around him and he made it his life's mission Today we celebrate him, but we celebrate a man who gave up his life in the pursuit of good works. Let your light therefore shine. I can go on and on and on and on and on, but we are called to do good works to people. When you see somebody who is in need, don't say that myself I'm struggling. Yes, you are struggling, but you can still part ways with something. We are called to do good, even sometimes to our own detriment. When Jesus tells the story of the, of the Good Samaritan, Bible says the first person to pass was the Levite. Then the, then the priest. The priest passed, then the Levite passed. In the technical sense of the word, the priest and the Levite had a reason not to touch the man because they perceived that the man was death. Was, was dead. And if they helped the man, they, you see the reason why they did not do good to the man is, is because it would have inconvenienced them. Because the moment they touched the man, before they can go on their way back to the temple, they have to go back and perform ceremonial cleansing. And the ceremonial cleansing alone would take them seven days. So it was going to inconvenience them. That is why they did not help. But the good Samaritan, the interesting thing is that the man was a Jew. His own people did not help him. The priests did not help him. The Levites did not help him, but the good the Samaritans were people who were at loggerheads with the Jews. They were people who had assimilated the worship of God they weren 't born Jews because if you remember if you if you read, read your Bible in the Old Testament when God punished the northern tribe of um Israel, and they were taken away, the Assyrians had a a displacement system that they used to do. If they come and conquer your land, they will take you away from your land, send you to a different place and bring a different people who they have conquered to come and occupy your land. They do that so that you don't gain confidence, become strong, and come and fight them because it is not your home. And the people who came to occupy the northern tribe of Israel when they were displaced are who we call the Samaritans. So the Jewish people hated their guts because you people have been brought into our land. You have taken our promised land. But it wasn't the Samaritans' fault that they were brought there. They too were slaves. So the Jewish people and the Samaritans clashed all the time. And this Samaritan man is on his way, going on his journey. He is a merchant. He's going to trade. He sees someone lying on the floor who is a Jewish person. If the Jewish person saw the Samaritan, he would have passed by. But the Samaritan saw the jewish man i said i know you will not have done this to help me that is why we don't do good because we'll get good in return right? sometimes when somebody's asking you, you said i know that this person was me not help me go away that's not what we have been called to do this man put see he the whole story was inconvenience he got off his his horse or his donkey and he puts the man on his donkey he took him to the home, uh, the inn. He paid the innkeeper. He dressed his wounds. He told him, "Take care of him. Whatever is left, I will come back." That means wherever he was going, he has to come back and make sure he stops here. He says, "I will pay you the balance off." That is the kind of good we are being called to do, and this is the kind of good that will set the church apart. Then people say, "Where are the people of God?" Say, "I do not believe." Somebody can say, "I do not believe in God," but if God was real, these are His people. And the reason why we have been called to do good works is because God is good. God is good. You remember when the young ruler came to Jesus, called him good Master?" He says, "Why do you call me good? For there's no one good but God. And if we are the people who have been called to bear the name of God, then this gathering must be a gathering of good works. That means amongst us, even amongst us there should be no one who begs like like the the emperor said are we together let me round up Galatians 6 7 to 10 Galatians 6 7 to 10 he says do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatever a man sows he will reap for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh receive corruption and he who sows to the spirit, will of the spirit receive everlasting life. And let us not go weary while doing good. For in due season, you will reap if you do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. He starts by saying that whatever we sow, we will reap. When you read the book of Galatians, whenever he talks about flesh and spirit, flesh represents the sinful nature, spirit represents the godly nature, the works of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. So he says that do not be deceived, whatever you sow you will reap. If you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh receive corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you shall of the spirit receive eternal life. And I told you that the first good works that we are supposed to offer up God is good conduct, good moral character. Things that align with the works of the spirit in us. He says we must sow to it. And because he knows that it's not easy, he says that do not be wary in doing good. Do not grow wary in doing good. Sometimes you are trying your best and it's like it is disadvantaging you. Do not grow wary in doing good. You are kind to people and they throw it in your face. Do not go weary in doing good. See. The number of times people have betrayed me sometimes. But this becomes an encouragement. See, I've paid fees, school fees for people who will not even acknowledge you. Don't even come back to say thank you. You have put your neck on the line for somebody and they go and mess up. Throw your name in the mud. And they will even call you ungrateful. I remember years ago, I was driving in traffic one time. This was back home in Ghana. I was driving in traffic one time and I met an old classmate. Who, he was selling um, uh, PK and handkerchiefs and the rest in traffic. And I parked the car. That no, you cannot be doing this. We we're, were in secondary school together. We, I cannot watch you do this. I came t- to the office, spoke to my dad about it, asked my dad to employ him. We employed him and we put a plan in place. We'll pay you this amount, we'll put this amount in trust for you. We are saving to get you back into school. One morning I get to work. This guy does not show sure, up. And he sends me a long text message insulting me. But you see if you are supposed to live life in response to what this man did to me we won't do good again but the Bible says do not grow weary in doing good so when I see another person in need even though my initial response It's a trauma response based on the past. We have to overcome it and say that we must not go weary in doing good. For in due season, we will receive a reward if we faint not. Some of you, you need to calm down. I know somebody has hurt you because you did them good. But we are not called to do good to those who do us good in return. So it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, that means when the opportunity presents itself as a Christian, you must be zealous for good works. It says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That is why as long as I'm your pastor, if anybody has need in this church, can't even meet Danny directly. There will be no stone that will be left unturned. Are we together? Because we are called to do good. We are the gathering that does good. Are we together? So I want us to purpose that a sacrifice we are going to offer up to God is that we will do good works. Hallelujah. Let's rise to our feet. I want us to pray. I know some of us have been hurt in the past, and some of this hurt prevents you from doing good works. I want us to pray that God will heal you. I want you to pray this morning that God will heal you. You'll heal you of your past hurt. And that he will give you grace. The Bible says that God is purifying a people who will be zealous for good works. That He'll give you strength. He'll give you grace. He'll give you ability. Kabadi Bala Brada Basandaha. Remene mezota baskava. Rebedi sataya. Remeni bazondo koriya bashaya badia. Madada bra sadeva da brada bakadisata. Lendeke zimano wazada branda zaya leva duska valia brada bashanda tas remene meso libra basada bada brada bakala bade mando rababa shala braba bazende bade bade taliva luwazaka pas le daba rababa talia brada Land of barrenness, who hath abandoned the day? Father, heal us from any hurt. In the name of Jesus, the Father, we may offer unto you the sacrifice of good works. Labado shada branda kali braba labado shada baha. Lebedi valu sada baha. Mando Ribabasali Adabranda, Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We thank you, O Lord, that because Christ, our eternal sin offering, has been offered up, we can come to Him with our own sacrifices outside of the gate. Father, we not only offer unto you the sacrifice of our lips. Father, we bring to you our sacrifice of good works father we declare oh God that we will do good works for your name Amen. that just as you have prepared good works for us to work in them before the foundations of the world that we should be zealous for them father we commit to do good